You know, when, when you, you go to the store and you're going to purchase something, especially if it costs you a lot of money, one of the things you ought to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is this going to be worth what the expense is? I remember back in school, whether it was junior high, high school, college, graduate school, and you're studying, you're studying, you're studying, and you're wondering, is this really worth it? Is it going to really matter? Or maybe it's in athletics when that coach is drilling you and pushing you and and you're working hard or you're working hard after hours. Is this really worth it? Is it really going to matter? You know, it's a common question intelligent people ask themselves. Is, is what it's going to cost you worth the, the price you have to pay? Well, in Mark chapter 10 this morning, we're going to a- ask that question and try to answer it in regards to following Jesus Christ. Is it, really, is it really worth it to follow Jesus Christ? We live in a culture, in the South especially, that's saturated with churches, saturated with God, but we don't have a lot of, honestly, a lot of people who are really following Christ. Maybe it's because we've understood a little bit of the cost. But what, what is what is the cost? Is it really worth it? And, and here's a good starting point. What does it mean to follow Jesus? When we talk about following Jesus, what does it mean? Now, when we talk about this this morning from Mark chapter 10, about following Jesus, there's two things that I think this passage is teaching and two things that are very important for you and for me. One, this is certainly talking about the entry point. This is talking about becoming a Christian. What does it mean to follow Jesus by giving him your life. What does it mean? But this is also a call of discipleship. So if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for two weeks or for 50 years, this passage and this message certainly is for you. What does it mean to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ? Here's the first thing, and we're going to kind of start with a negative. It means you can't do it on your terms. Now, you know, it's interesting in this passage in Mark chapter 10, it's a story of the rich young ruler. Many of us have heard for many years, but it's significant that Jesus starts with this guy by letting him know that, hey, bud, you can't follow me on your terms. And, you know, as I look at Christianity today, especially in America, where I'm obviously more familiar with it, the greatest barrier to us following Jesus is we want to do it on our terms. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we're going to start and go through 17 through 20. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 18, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is God. He's kind of testing this guy a little bit here. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Let me share with you some of the significant things going on here. One, it says that he ran up to Jesus. Now, in this culture that Jesus lived in, men did not run in public. They just didn't do it for whatever reason. Unless their robe was on fire or their wife was screaming at them, they did not run in public. And so his robe was not on fire. We don't even know if he was married. So it was almost like he is making himself, he's throwing off his pride right off the bat. And it says he falls at Jesus' feet. Now, if, if you're out in the hallway this afternoon or, or after church and someone runs up to you and falls at your feet, they want something 
pretty sincerely, don't they? Are they are they odd, one or the other? I mean, there's something really going on there. Matthew and Luke also tell this story, and they tell us more details about it. In Matthew 19, 20, it says, All these things I have kept, the young man said. So here's a, a, a guy who comes running up to Jesus, falls at his feet, and Matthew tells us he's a young man. You know, someone said, in our world today, half the population is under 30, and the other half is trying to look like they're under 30. That's true, isn't it? I mean, we have Botox, we have, you know, all these things where, you know, we work out, we nutrition, we do all these things, and so we can either be 30 or look like we're under 30. Youth is a good thing. It's not a negative thing. Believe me, young people, it's not, because all old people want to be like y'all more than y'all want to be like us. He's young, and he's also a leader. In Luke 18, 18, the same story, a certain ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, putting this together, this guy is a powerful young man. I would say he's probably in his 20s. He's a leader in his community. He's probably a leader in his synagogue. The synagogue is the the Jewish version of the local church. And this story tells us he is rich. Listen, this dude has got everything, doesn't he? He is young. He is rich. He is powerful. And later on, Jesus looks at him and says he loved him. He was likable. He had so many good qualities. And not only that, he was a good moral person. When Jesus laid out some of the commandments, what Jesus did is he took the Ten Commandments and the last six of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship to other humans. Jesus mentions five of these. Now, he repeats one about being honest and about defrauding. And he lays out five. Now, it's interesting. He does not mention the first four. We'll talk about that in a moment. Or he doesn't mention coveting. But he lays out five of the commandments. Adultery, murder, honoring your parents, being a gossip and a slanderer. Being honest, and this guy says, look, since I was a a young boy, probably from his bar mitzvah when he turned 13, that's when a Jewish boy entered what we'd say the age of accountability. He said, since my, my bar mitzvah, I have kept these things. Jesus, I am a good dude. But in verse 17, to go back that, he ran to Jesus. He fell at his feet, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. The verbiage there, guys, it's like he was at Jesus' knees, maybe even tugging on Jesus' hand or his robe, and he was repeatedly asking him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, the, the, the concept here of eternal life is significant. Eternal meant blessed and non-ending. It meant non-ending in a good way. Life was significant. New Testament was written in Greek. They had two words for our one English word, life. One was the word bios for physical life. The other word was zoe for, for a quality of life, a high quality of life. And he used that, that other word, zoe. He, in other words, he said, Jesus, I'm good. I'm religious. I'm young. I got money. I got chicks. That's not in the text, but he probably did. I am powerful. I'm moral. But man, something's missing in my life. What must I do? What must I do to go to heaven, Jesus? What do I need to do to have the life that you want me to have? One of the first things this guy found out was you can't do it on your terms. Let me talk first to all the Christians. Christians, one of the things Jesus is going to try to say to us this morning is I want you to follow me. Man, I want you to follow me with all your heart. 
You can make up your mind by the end of the service whether it's worth it or not. But you cannot follow me on your terms. Christian, whether you're 14 or you're 94, you don't write the rule book. You don't decide how you live for Christ and how you won't live for Christ. And I want to tell you, that's the problem in this room and in in churches all across America today. It was a problem 2,000 years ago. Secondly, if you're not a Christian, you don't make up the rules on how you get to heaven. Wouldn't it be cool if you did? My rules were you'd have to be a little bit overweight, you like ice cream, and you love football. Then you go to heaven. Wouldn't that be great? And every man in here is going, man, that would be awesome. But I didn't get to write the rules. How many of you know who Warren Buffett is? Girls, you need to. You need to find his granddaughter somewhere or his grandson and try to marry him. Warren Buffett's one of the richest guys in the world. Warren Buffett, a few years ago, was worth $44 billion. Every pastor wants Warren to tithe at their church. (laughs) Warren Buffett, a few years ago, said, I'm going to give away 80% of my wealth, which amounted to about $35 billion. Still gives him nine to retire on, $9 billion. But here's what Warren Buffett said. After that great thing, giving away that much money, he goes, there's got to be several ways to get to heaven, but this has got to be one of the greatest ways. You know what? Doesn't that sound like a typical American person? Friend, you can give away everything you have and die and go to hell. You and I don't get to heaven based on whether we're given large sums of money or not. The first thing to understand is we can't follow Christ on our terms, okay? Now, what does that, what's the positive side of this? How do we look at this and say, what, what do we do? Well, here's what we do. We have to put Jesus as number one. We have to put Jesus as number one in our lives. So I want to give you a few practical thoughts on that in just a second. Look in verse 21 and 22. Jesus looked at this guy and he loved him. Now, Jesus loves everybody. What this means is Jesus looked at this guy, and, and this was a likable person. And by the way, Jesus looks at you this morning, and he loves you too. But now, this is very important. He's not going to compromise his standards. He doesn't say, oh, shucks, I love old Don McMahon, so I'm going to let him slide today. Or I love Neil. He is such a good guy. And I'm just, you know, no, Jesus said, man, I love you, but here is the bar. And we don't lower the bar for anyone. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. When it says he went away sad, it it literally is the picture of storm clouds came up on the horizon. I mean, his heart was broken. Now, what does this mean? Because this could be pretty confusing today. What does it mean? Let, let me tell you two things it means. Number one, to follow Christ, you put everything under him. You put everything behind him, under him, in your life. Now, does this mean this morning that if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to become a Christian, or you're going to be a Eagle Scout Christian, that you have to give all your money to our church and then follow him. No, that is not what it means. Sigh, a big sigh of relief. Money was this dude's God. It was his God. 
This was what was keeping him from following Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew it. Jesus, it's interesting, he didn't mention the commandment about coveting, gathering stuff. He said, listen, the one thing that's keeping you from surrendering to me is your money. And if you're going to follow me, you've got to surrender that to me and follow me. Let's talk about if you're not a Christian this morning, or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian. What's keeping you from following Christ? There is something. You may be conscious of it. You may be unconscious of it. Years ago, I was, uh, it was 30 years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. We were both, I guess, 19 or 20 at the time. I was a new Christian. He was not a Christian. He'd never been in church much. I didn't know much, so it wasn't like this was some deep conversation. But I was trying to get him. We rode around for two or three hours. I was trying to get him to give his life to Christ. Here's what he told me over and over and over. I cannot because of my family. I cannot because of my family. Now, they weren't going to kill him. They weren't going to throw him out of the house. What they were going to do at first is they were going to make fun of him. These people like to drink a a case of beer a night. These were some heavy partying people. God's not anti-drinking. God's anti-minor drinking. God's anti-a case of beer a night drinking. And he was going to have to make some radical adjustments in his life. But we left that night, and 30 years later, nothing's changed in his heart. Because he was afraid of what his, his dad and his brothers were going to say to him if he said, I'm following Jesus. Some of you, it may be your family. Let me give you some other big things. Maybe it's your pride. What would people think if, after all these years of my religious look, they found out that I really didn't belong to Christ? Or maybe it is money. Maybe it is sports. Whatever it is. Are you willing today to put everything under Jesus to follow him? Now, let's talk to you and me who are Christians this morning. See, as a Christian, here's the struggle. We've given our life to Christ. We have Jesus in our life. You made a decision at some point to put everything under him, to follow him. But slowly and surely, things start getting back in the way of you and Jesus, don't they? They absolutely do. Let me ask you this morning, what do you need to put aside or away to really follow Jesus this morning, Christian? Is it your pride? You know, if some of us in this room this morning were going to really start following Jesus like we should, it would mean we'd have to admit we've been wrong. We'd have to humble ourselves. We would have to repent. And you know what? We're not going to do that for anybody. God himself, we're not going to. Maybe we'd have to adjust the way we do athletics, the way we do school, the way we do money, the way we do our hobbies. And we just don't want to do it. I mean, who is the preacher? No, who is God to tell you how to live your Christian life? We just won't do it. We got it figured out. And Jesus said, no, listen, kick the rich guy 2,000 years ago, but let's make it personal. What's keeping you as a Christian from following what's in the way this morning. Now, the second part of this that goes hand in glove, not only do you have to put everything secondary, you have to make a choice to put him first. It's, you know, when I was young, being a Christian, and I didn't become a Christian in college, being young when I was a Christian just meant you didn't do bad things. To me, it meant you couldn't have fun. 
Being a Christian means you put Jesus Christ first in your life. In Luke chapter 14, there's some powerful verses. It begins, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, you're talking about thinning the crowds out. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, now stay with me, his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot, he cannot, he cannot be my disciple. And if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Now, again, it's very important. New Testament was originally written in Greek. That Greek word there for hate literally is a strong word that means to love less than. There's going to be some man going to go home today and tell his wife, I hate you, and the preacher said I could. No, that is not true. (laughs) That word hate is a strong word that literally means to love less than. In other words, to become a Christian, it means you make a decision to love Jesus first. When I was saved at 19, I didn't know a lot, but I knew this. I knew I knew if I was going to follow Jesus, there's going to have to be some junk that was going to have to go. There's going to have to be some other stuff put behind Jesus, and I was going to have to put him first. You're going to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're going to go to heaven someday. You've got to put him first. But as a Christian, if you were getting graded today, on Jesus being number one in your life, what would your grade turn out to be? A plus? B? C? D? You know, I bet you Jesus kind of grades like my graduate school did. After uh, a B, there is no such thing but an F. And when I was working on my doctor's degree, it was an A, B, or an F. You know what? That makes you study harder. I think Jesus grades on the A, B, or F too. William Barclay was a great professor in Scotland years ago. He was asked about a person, a young man in his class, about him being a student. Barclay made a great comment. He said, he attends my lectures, but he's not one of my students. Do do they still allow auditing of classes? Do y'all know what that is? Old people, you know what that is. Young people, you may not. When I was in graduate school, you could audit a class, and I always envied the the auditors because they didn't have to take tests. They didn't have to write papers. They didn't even have to come. They, they could just sit there and stare at the wall. Now, they had to pay some money, but they were doing it for their own benefit. They didn't, they didn't get graded. They didn't have the responsibility. But you know what? They also didn't get the grade and the credit. And I'm afraid many of us are auditing God. Oh, I follow God. I love God. On our terms how we want to, till it gets a little tough, till it demands repentance. Jesus said 2,000 years ago to this guy, if you're going to follow me, you can't do it on your terms. You got to put everything under me, and you got to put me first. Now, here's the question for the hour. Is it worth it? I mean, this is tough. It really is tough. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? The rich young ruler didn't think so. He walked away. What what about for us? Let me tell you, first of all, being honest, it's tough. It, It really is tough. In verse 23 through 26, 
Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at this because, you see, the Jewish people thought financial wealth meant it was a sign of God's blessing. And how in the world could Jesus say it's going to be hard for rich people to get to heaven? And then Jesus said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He was talking about anybody there. But he said about the rich, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Now, the que- one of the big questions in this text is the eye of the needle. What did Jesus mean here? And again, stay with me in the next few minutes in this passage. It, the eye of the needle was one of two things. There was a, a gate in, in entering Jerusalem that was small. It was so small that if a camel was to get through it, it would have to get on its hands and knees literally and crawl through to get through, but it could get through. Other scholars believe this was just hyperbole. Jesus was trying to illustrate a point because to the people in his world, they didn't see elephants. The biggest animal they had ever seen was a camel. And he's talking about a sewing needle here. And he's saying, look, a camel through the eye of a sewing needle, yeah, it's pretty tough to pull that off. You know, it is tough this morning to say if you want to follow Christ, you want to become a Christian, you're making a choice to put everything secondary in him first. True story, a young man is, was, became a Christian at a youth crusade. They had like a four-day youth crusade. The very first night, this family had three boys. The, the eight-year-old boy, the youngest boy, came forward and was saved. The next night, the 14-year-old boy came down the aisle and became a Christian. The last night of the crusade, the 10-year-old boy, his parents prayed and watched, struggled his way, literally, down the aisle, came to the front, became a Christian. And on the way home, the dad said, son, it was tough leaving that seat and coming to Jesus this morning, wasn't it? Or this evening at the crusade. And the little boy said, yes, it was. He said, you know, that preacher said, bow your head and close your eyes. And I kept bumping into things and having to p- push people out of the way. But I finally made it to the front. That's not what the kind of hard we're talking about. <laughs> but it's hard to follow Christ. But let me tell you the second thing, and this is great. It's possible. You see, Jesus didn't leave the rich out here hanging. He didn't leave you out here hanging. He's just being honest. It's tough, but it's possible. In verse verse 26 and 27, the disciples were even more amazed. Who then can be saved? Can a rich person, can a poor person, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Man, this is great. But with God, All things are possible. You see, it is tough to really follow Jesus, but it's possible. If you're you're filthy rich or you're dirt poor, or or you you have a lot of problems or life's going great, if you're afraid what your friends are going to say because you're an adult who's got the heart of a four-year-old girl, whatever, you can do it. Someone said if there's a thousand steps between us and God, he takes 999. He does everything that's possible so we can take that one step to him. And I want to tell you the last thing this morning. It's absolutely worth it. It's worth it. 
I love Peter for so many reasons. One is he's just got a big mouth. Verse 28 through 31, they'd heard all this, and they're stunned. But Peter said, we have left everything to follow you. You know, guys, everybody's thinking this. Peter's the only one who has the courage to mouth it. Jesus didn't say, Peter, shut up. Quit asking what's in it for you. You just follow me, duck your head. He didn't say that. Here's what he said. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother, our father, our children, that would be adult children, our fields for me and the gospel, listen to this, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, by the way, some troubles, and in the age to come, eternal life. Unbelievable. Peter said, Jesus, we had a lucrative family fishing business. We were working with our daddy. We were living in our hometown. We were making good money, and we left it all to follow you. Jesus, is it worth it? We don't have the money we had. We don't have the prestige we had. Nobody knows us anymore. How many of y'all know who Mickey Mantle was? If, if, if you're a guy and you don't know, you need to look it up. Mickey Mantle was one of the great baseball players of the 20th century. He was a great average hitter, hit for average. He was a great power hitter. He had a lot of home runs. He was a great fielder. He was super fast. He made it to the big leagues when he was young. He ended up in the Hall of Fame. He played for the Yankees. He was on many World Series winning teams. He was a playboy. He was rich. He was famous. He was a super great athlete. And when he laid dying at 65, he had been a party animal his whole life. When he laid dying, here's what Mickey Mantle said. He said, young people, whatever you do, you don't live like I lived because it wasn't worth it. I mean, to me, you're a national sports hero, a millionaire. You're a playboy. You are famous. And he's laid dying. He said, don't be like me. It wasn't worth it. By the way, Mickey Mantle became a Christian before he died. But what he said about his life is it was a life that ultimately led to ruin. And here's what Jesus said. You may never make a million bucks. You may never be famous. But if you live for me, anything you give up for me, I'll multiply it back for you. You have to move halfway across the world to be away from your family. I'll give you multiple friends and family. You have to lose some prestige or people make fun of you. I'll pour so much good back on you, you won't be able to hold it. You see, all of us are looking for that, and it's found in Jesus. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life to the full. Jesus said, I have not only come to bless you when you die, I have come to give you a great life here today. It's worth it. And by the way, let me throw this in, what Jesus said at the very end. It's just kind of, he just kind of threw it in as an appendage. He said, and by the way, when you die, you get to go to heaven. 125 years from now, did you know everyone in this room will be dead? I know that's a morbid thing to say, but that's true. You'll either be in heaven or you'll be in hell. That's what the Bible says. 
And I promise you, 125 years from now, if you follow Christ, it will be absolutely worth it for eternity. Folks, there's a hole in your heart that only God can fill. Your goodness, your money, your niceness, your likability, your power, none of those will fill it. But Jesus Christ will fill it if you'll truly follow him. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you real strongly to examine your life. Are you really following Christ as you should be, as you once did? And will you make a U-turn and start following him again as you need to? If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, where you're seated this morning, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son. And and Jesus, I, I accept that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And this morning... I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment and we're going to sing. But far more importantly than that, I want to challenge you to respond to Jesus. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar today is the time to repent and to come back to Jesus 100%. Will you do that? Maybe you'd like to join our church family today. One way you could do that is just slip out, come down the aisle. We'll help you. You can join our church family today. We'd love for you to do that. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. We'll have ministers down here. We can help you. Friend, the the rich young ruler has to live forever with his walking away from Jesus. You've got a chance today to walk toward him. Let's stand, and as God leads you this morning.